In Nehemiah chapter 4, made mention of this a little yesterday, you have the story here of Nehemiah having a burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They were all in ruins. And when the enemy, Sanballat and Tobiah in particular, got wind of the fact that this wall is being rebuilt. It says there in verse 1, Sanballat was wroth. He was incensed, angry, and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. The enemy hates the work of God. Let's just put that down as a as a law, as a rule, as an axiom. The enemy hates the work of God. Why would they be so incensed that these people, these poor Jews that had returned to this heap of rubble, were wanting to rebuild their, their home, this wall? Oh, he was upset. And it says there in verse 7 that Sanballat and Tobiah, Arabians, Ammonite, Ashdodites, all together, they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped. And they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. I just want to make the simple point that any work of God that we find ourselves in, the enemy is against. He's not just against it in a sense of he's not for it. He's against it in the sense of it makes him angry. And he's very angry. So even what we're doing here, this is sort of, in a sense, rebuilding a wall, rebuilding something. We have lamented often on this prayer call that we feel that, generally speaking, in pockets here and there, it's not the case, but generally speaking, the landscape seems to indicate that this discipline, this exercise of God's people gathering together to pray for the kingdom of God and for the advance of the gospel and for revival. It seems to be disappearing. Few and far between. You may still have people and groups of people praying or saying prayers, but it usually doesn't amount more than to going through a list of needs. Needs are important, but we have to start praying for the, for the big items, for the advancing of Christ's kingdom on earth, for the revival of religion, as Jonathan Edwards put it, puts it. And so we are rebuilding, in a sense. We're rebuilding these walls, and I'm telling you, the enemy hates it. 
Now, maybe we don't feel that, but everything that we read in Scripture screams that the enemy is against what we're doing. It doesn't make sense why he would be. I mean, we're just a few people. We're just trying to rebuild this thing. The enemy hates it. Just like Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabians, Ammonites, they all were very wroth, and they were conspiring to hinder it. So just make no mistake about it. What we're doing here right now, the, the enemy is conspiring to hinder and he uses all kinds of tactics, uh, one of which is discouragement. And you read about that, verse 2 and following. What do these feeble Jews, what are these, what are, what are these feeble Christians, every last one of us could be categorized that way. What do these people think, these nobodies, feeble people? devil is looking at us. What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? They're going to stop us? They're going to sacrifice? They're going to rebuild this? They're going to make an end in a day? They're going to just do it in one day? Are they going to revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Isn't that what we're seeking? A revival out of the heaps of rubbish that we see. And so there's mockery, there's discouragement. And so that's a tactic of the enemy, is to mock and to discourage. And <clears throat> he will also use fear. And that's what I want to focus on. The enemy's tactics have remained consistent throughout all history, and today is no different. The enemy uses fear, and he is trying to use fear to stop something. And this is why I have no intention of stopping, because that would be giving in to fear. And perfect love casts out fear. This fear is not of God. But the enemy uses fear. And that's what we see there in the following verses. Uh, these Arabians and so on. They were all going to come together and fight. And when the people heard that, what was their response? Verse 9. We made our prayer to God. And there was, there was some physical weariness setting in. You see that in verse 10. The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there is much rubbish. And we're not able to finish this. You see, they, they were not superhumans. We're not superhumans. We feel this every day. We feel the weariness setting in every day. And so did Judah. They had strength, but the strength is starting to decay. And they're thinking, we can't do this. 
we're not going to be able to do this. And the adversaries, verse 11, were going to sneak in among them and cause the work to cease. In verse 12, the Jews are saying ten times to us, from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. In other words, they're going to come from every direction. This is just fear. And so, Nehemiah, ultimately in verse 14, he rose up and he says to the nobles, the leadership, the rulers, and the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Don't be afraid. And so that's simply my exhortation to myself and to you. Don't be afraid of them. Do not ye be afraid of them. And like I said, this has been the tactic of the evil one. All throughout, we read of the spies, if you remember, we'll just think about this in Numbers chapter 14. The spies, if you remember, ten spies, they were overcome with fear and they spread that evil report. The story of David and Goliath, Goliath goes out to the armies of, of Israel every day and he instills fear. Then you had that passage in Elisha with the servant where you saw where he saw all these armies of the Syrians and it instilled fear. So much fear in the heart of that servant that he cries out to Elisha, Alas, Master, how shall we do? What are we going to do? And the response for all of this is what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Remember the Lord. So, when we're faced with fear tactics of the enemy, remember the Lord goes on to say the Lord which is great and terrible now that word terrible is sounds like a negative thing uh, today but it really just means he is awe-inspiring or if you want to say it this way he is fear-inducing in other words it should cause fear the Lord is to be feared. He's awe-inspiring. He's terrible. And he's great. So, don't be afraid of them. We have the Lord. Remember him. He is awe-inspiring. He is great. So get your eyes off of people because the fear of man brings a snare. But remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And that was the response that the, the two good spies, Caleb and Joshua, tried. 
to encourage the people. In Numbers 14, it says in verse 9, Rebel not against the Lord. This is Joshua and Caleb speaking. Neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. That's living by faith, by the way, not by sight. Now, in the case of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, Then David said to Goliath, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. Defied. Remember the Lord. In the case of Elisha and the servants, Second Kings, chapter six, verse sixteen. Elisha tries to quell the fears of his servant. He says to him, "Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them." Elisha saw something that that servant could not see, so Elisha prayed, Lord, open the young man's eyes that he might see. And sure enough, there were more with them than the enemies. So, don't give in to the tactic of fear, because what is it that we are supposed to do? What's the solution in the face of fear? Are we going to run? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to stop building? Are we going to give up praying? It's not just the prayer meeting. Obviously, the work of God that you're involved in, even to the raising of your own families, you're going to stop praying for them? We're going to just give up, give in to fear? You know, there's a great uh, general in, in American history called Douglas MacArthur who fought Uh, in the Korean War, and he had a famous quote. He said, There's no substitute for victory. And he says, It's fatal to enter any war without the will to win it. And that's just a, a secular quote. You know, The Art of War by Sun Tzu has actually all kinds of, of interesting, relevant things as well to say. But The alternative, there is no substitute for victory. We're not going to just cave and give in and stop building. Okay, we're going to just stop building. No. The thief is relentless in John 10. All he wants is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his end game. There is no, um, there is no middle ground here. And 1 Peter tells us that we have an adversary. He's the devil, and he's going around, and he's seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy us. So there is no substitute for victory. So in this prayer call, we're in a rebuilding business, and fear is going to be used, and discouragement, to stop us, whether it's this prayer call or whatever ministry it might be. 
My encouragement is the words of Nehemiah. Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord.